0: You're listening to Quick 5 with the Morgan Hill Chamber of Commerce.
1: Welcome to this edition of the Morgan Hill Chamber of Commerce's Quick 5 podcast. Five questions with the Chamber's CEO and President. My name is Nick H, and it's my privilege to serve as your host. For today's podcast, it's my pleasure to welcome Peggy Martin, board member of the Susan and Charles Burgoff Foundation and co-founder of the Family Wealth Consultants Firm. And Debbie Vasquez, City of Morgan Hills Senior Recreation Supervisor. Peggy and Debbie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. You know, I'm so happy to have you both as guests on this afternoon as we finalize really the last in our series of podcasts focusing on dementia. We all know it's one of the greatest public health challenges of our time. Now, for our listeners, you're aware that our first two episodes with the Susan and Charles Berghoff Foundation provided us insights on the reality of dementia as a growing public health crisis affecting millions of people and their families. We also talked about the work of the foundation, the aspirations and the principal priorities in the years to come, and I think most importantly, the importance of brain health and its direct relationship to dementia. So for today's podcast, our speakers will share their knowledge and expertise to provide us with a few essential practical tools and strategies for us to consider if we or our loved ones' health and well-being are subtly affected by dementia-related symptoms. So let's begin the conversation. Maybe I'll start out with Debbie. You know, why is it important to understand and accept the possibility of dementia impacting each one of us or someone we care so deeply about?
2: Well, as you mentioned, dementia is a growing public health challenge, Um, the number of people living with dementia is expected to triple to nearly 140 million people by the year 2050. The likelihood that we know somebody, a friend, a family member um, with dementia is is a very real reality. Yes, it is. My own experience, my dad also had dementia. Um, He was diagnosed with dementia about 10 years ago, and we didn't know a lot about it. Um, It was changing, and the diagnosis, we were unclear of what type of dementia. Um, He was eventually diagnosed with vascular dementia and he passed away this last year. Each phase of dementia is very different. You don't always know what to expect with each of the different phases. I work in senior services and it was still overwhelming for me um, trying to do the research, find resources and make decisions while also going through the emotional turmoil of, you know, watching a, a loved one decline. I believe if we'd had the conversation earlier with my mom and dad, my mom also was diagnosed with cancer around the same time that my dad had dementia, so it got kind of complicated really quickly. Um, I believe if we had had some conversations earlier about their wishes and what they would expect their end of life to be and what kind of support they would want and all the things that would go into that, that we would have been a little more prepared for that. But it did help me understand how important it was to make a plan and things to take into consideration. And how, you know, dementia can be so serious and there's so much that goes into it. It's important to really think about all those things. So, you know, I wasn't even aware of, of how my life would be impacted by something that my dad was going through in a way, not only just thinking about the fact that we could lose him, but all the steps along the way and also trying to have my own family and raise my, my kids at the same time that I was dealing with my um, adult parents.
1: You know, Debbie, thanks for sharing your personal journey. I mean, part of our goal uh, through all three podcasts now is to humanize what dementia is and, more importantly, really how it impacts not just the individual that's actually suffering through these syndromes but the overall family that really surrounds them. So thank you for for personalizing it. And and I know, know, Peggy, I know you have a story as well. So I'm wondering if you could share your your personal story too with us.
3: Absolutely. Thank you, Nick. And thank you, Debbie. Mm -hmm. Having had four very dear women in my life suffer from dementia, I am an advocate that families have conversations about dementia. The women in my life were afraid to talk about their health and tried so very hard to cover up their cognitive challenges until they couldn't do it anymore. And it became very evident to those of us around them that cared about them deeply that they had an issue with dementia. The reality is any of us could be diagnosed with dementia. In my work as a financial planner and a legacy planner with my clients, I want to know that having an open conversation about dementia as a future possibility, a present concern, or a recent diagnosis gives the family an opportunity to understand. I loved one's wishes for care and to plan accordingly, to begin the planning.
1: Uh, again, Peggy, thank you for, for sharing such a personal journey, and I think as we walk through you know, the next uh, really several questions, it's really just recognizing as a family member what those signs and symptoms you may be looking at in front of you right. to be able to help better inform and kind of determine a path that's going to be really just better overall as far as the health and well-being, not only of the individual, but the family, again, that's really supporting that. You know, Peggy and Debbie, based on your vast experiences working with so many individuals and families that are currently navigating the reality of demand related symptoms. What advice can you offer to help initiate what I would call that initial dialogue, right, regarding that continuing of care needs to best support them through a very tough journey that may lie ahead? And I can tell you, actually, going through that personal journey as we speak today, that initial conversation is so crucial. Having the wherewithal as well as any information to be able to address that uh, with the individual that that may be within your own family circle is very tough. So let's talk a little bit about how do you have that conversation? What tools are available uh, for us all?
3: I advocate for every parent to speak from their heart with their adult children, to express their wishes, especially about their health care. If faced with a progressive condition such as dementia, which currently there is no cure for, does the parent want heroic measures, or do they just want to let nature take its course, minimal intervention? Communicating this empowers family members to act with the confidence of knowing they are carrying out their loved one's wishes. That is such a wonderful gift to know that you're doing what your parent or other loved one wants you to do. In my own experience, a dear woman who was a widow, had no living children, and was like a second mother to me, named me as one of her health care agents but she hadn't made her wishes for care known to me, even when I asked her, and also it was never listed on the form. When her health failed due to cognitive impairment, difficult decisions had to be made without her guidance. As we all know, death can come gradually or suddenly without warning. Healthcare agents and all family members should be aware of your wishes. What is it that you want so that they can take the proper steps and provide emotional support when the time comes?
1: You know what I love about uh, the message that you're sending, and I'm going to paraphrase some of your comments, but communicating this empowers family members to act. It's really all about empowerment, really feeling you've got the confidence to be able to have this crucial conversation while maintaining the integrity of the individual that is right in front of you, which is such a tough moment. So, Debbie, uh, please share your, your perspective on this.
2: Yeah, so I've found that people are often uncomfortable discussing end-of-life decisions, uh, whether they fear the loss of a loved one or they've come face-to-face with their own mortality However, it's really important to have the conversation so that everyone in the family or on the care team is aware of of end-of-life plan. And as Peggy mentioned, they're individual wishes. Not everyone has the same needs and wishes, um, which can make the conversation difficult. I might want something different than my mom wants or or than my dad wants. And sometimes we we want to direct them that route, but it's really about them. The other thing is it's important to listen actively and make note of their wishes um, as, they're, as the conversation happens. You know, take note. That's a good uh, place to start with a framework for creating the plan. AARP has a great guidebook for these conversations called Prepare to Care. The Conversation Project is another good resource, but it's also important to recognize that end-of-life decisions involve more than a do-not-resuscitate or in DNR form. Um, it's important to understand the prognosis if someone has a serious or terminal condition. For example, there may be quality of life decisions and end-of-life goals to consider. Maybe they want to leave a legacy or do something special before, before they pass. And so it's really important to get all of those things, you know, have the conversation, and then if you can get those things in writing, that can also um, be part of the plan. Conversations should touch on the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual values and needs.
1: No, it's uh, you, know, you know when you take a look at both your personal journeys. I mean, there's two, there's two things that really stir in my mind. You know, one of them is, is the empowerment opportunity that you really spoke to, and the other is active listening. Right? right. You have to be fully present uh, when you're having these type of crucial conversations because words make a difference. But more importantly, actions and behaviors of the one you're speaking to really reveal even a deeper uh, analysis of really what's in front of them, and more importantly, what's in front of you to be able to navigate. So let's continue the conversation. You know, in the first two episodes, we have touched on the complexity of the continuum of care needs for those that are affected with dementia syndromes. We've also talked about the impact to the families that surround the individual with the love and support and the reality that every episode of care is unique and different. You know, uh, there's just not a single or straightforward path as each family's journey will be in different stages. So let's talk a little bit about the importance of the care team. Uh, that one you really should assemble to ensure that all aspects regarding quality of life are covered. So maybe I'll maybe start Peggy on your end. You know, if you think about a a group or a care team of trusted advisors, right? What would you recommend that you have on that team?
3: Okay, it is very important for all of us to know our care team and communicate to those individuals that you are considered them your care team. And what is their role? I have been asked to be on care teams for a number of clients, just to be there as guidance for them, and uh, it's clear what my role is. So I encourage folks when they are creating their care team, whether it be from an advisor perspective or personal family members, that it is spoken to what is that person's role and get their agreement that they want that role, because if they don't want the role, it's not going to work well for That's anybody. Right. Exactly right. So as a financial advisor, I collaborate diligently with my clients to know who their trusted contact person is. I have to know that because things shift in people's lives. I have to know who their trusted contact person is. And I have a copy of their health care directive in most instances. I like to have that so I know who's that contact person. In meetings with my clients four-plus times per year, I get to know them better than most of their advisors. I don't have a one-off meeting just during the year. I talk with them very regularly. So I will know when something has shifted in them, when there's a change that needs to be discussed with their trusted contact person. So I pay close attention to any kind of behavioral change that takes place. It could be very strange spending patterns that they never had before. Mm-hmm. I question right. that. Why, why, why are you asking for this? Because we have had a couple of occasions where they were being pressured to ask for money, either by a family member or by some outside organization. So it's important to keep in tune with that, with, your, with the client base. I also notice when they become distant, they're not focusing with me anymore. And I ask into that and say, is it time for us to bring your children in or some other trusted person in their life?
1: Debbie, why don't you go ahead and expand on that? I I, I know you're coming a little bit from two different perspectives, mm-hmm. but the beauty here is is that you're unified in, in the themes that you guys work with every day. And the greatness of that, right, is you bring this collective wealth of expertise because what it takes, it really it takes a true circle of giving to be able to understand the various aspects of what's at hand. And I'm pulling out some adjectives that I think may be important for our listeners. We talked about empowerment. We talked about active listening. Now we're talking about engaged uh, mindfulness, right, Right. of being present as that team leader to be able to connect that network on what's best for the individual that you're serving at this point. But please, Debbie, go ahead and share some of your thoughts on this.
2: Great. Thank you. As Peggy mentioned, um, each care team will look different depending on the person. Everyone ages differently. They have different goals, family structure, and a big one is also their financial status. Everybody's different. It's important to include as much information in the plan so that those who are part of the care team, as Peggy mentioned, they know what their role is, they're responsible for caring for the patient or individual, and they have everything they need in order to implement the end-of-life plan. Um, A lot of times it's asking more questions. Some people live very simply. My parents were very simple. They were very private. They didn't want to share a lot of information. Um, Some families are very complex. There's a lot of people involved. There might be mixed families, blended families. And so things can look very different and become complicated. Um, So it's important to be very clear who's part of the care team and, again, what the responsibilities are. It's also important to communicate so there's no misunderstandings. A lot of times you hear of stories after somebody passes away where the family's fighting over certain things. And if the wishes are very clear and you carry out the wishes of the individual, a lot of times you can avoid some of those um, family issues um, that come up. I think it's also important to mention that even though there's a plan there could be things along the way that change. The patient chooses to change um, something for whatever reason, or their diagnosis and their symptoms maybe worsen over time. Um, but again, it's really important to have these conversations. Some of them might be just casual conversations, but taking note of that and again putting that in the plan.
1: You know, actually, I'm going to bring Peggy back in just for a a quick follow-up on that. And thank you for bringing up the financial, the economic business case of this. And as tough as it is to talk about this when we're talking about a medical condition, we can't lose sight of of the financial burden that really is on the shoulders of the family, right, to be able to support the quality of care that you want to see for that individual. So can you really talk about that? Uh, When we talk about care teams, we typically think about physicians, case managers, social services, uh, chaplains, et cetera. But the economic case is also just as vital for the families to understand how to preserve that integrity of the quality of life that their loved ones certainly have at that point and want to continue going forward.
3: Yes, we uh, talk with our clients a lot about long-term care funding. Many people do not have long-term care insurance. It's not possible for them. They can't afford it or their health won't allow them to purchase it. Mm -hmm. So how do we plan for that? And knowing the care team is a very helpful, number one, Who are your members? Who are you designating to help take care of you? Should you get a diagnosis of dementia or some other terminal illness that puts you in a position of not being able to make your own choices? Ideally, we get folks to work with us on a financial plan that covers the long-term care funding so that we can say, okay, this is your nest egg for long-term care funding. Now, many people can self-fund for it, A lot of people cannot. And there's programs available more readily sometimes for those that have very minimal asset base to help cover those long-term care costs. So it's a very complex question. A lot of planning goes into it. But the folks that do it, they have peace of mind.
1: Now, thank you for, for adding that to, to the conversation. And, and I'm just kind of curious as well, you know, many individuals with their parents and grandparents really have had healthcare plans that were designed and executed years ago that may not be up to date with the current present reimbursement issues, et cetera, that are running on the plate. How much time do you spend actually just reexamining existing profiles and financial plans of a really great time and effort that was spent, say, 20 years ago to help preserve that integrity of quality of life that in today's time is nowhere close to be able to understand the funding needs to be able to actually maintain that?
3: That's correct also, Nick. Good question. Um, what we have done in our financial planning practice over the years, years ago, we would do a financial plan and give a beautiful binder with the client's name on it and would get put on a shelf. Yes, Never yes. to be looked at I again. I remember
1: one in my house as I was growing up.
3: That's yes. not how we do it anymore. Right. We have very sophisticated mm-hmm. software and we usually are updating our plans at least annually to be sure nothing has changed. Or as changes have taken place, we've recorded that in the plan, because it could make a difference for long-term longevity of money. Are you going to have enough money, or are you going to outlive your money? You know, Historically, as you mentioned, folks that are much older right now, they didn't do this kind of planning, and they didn't think they were going to live this long. You know, right. my dad's 101, and he didn't think he was going to live this long. That's
1: right. That's right. And
3: we didn't plan for it properly. <laughs> so you know? let's ask you to
1: stay on this track, if that's okay for a second. I mean, I know that I, as, as I was growing older, you know, I always heard my dad say, "You know, son, you got to get your affairs in order." Well, at 30, and 35, and 40, I probably had really no idea of, of really what that meant. So, what does it really mean to get your affairs in order? And what are some of the basic documents uh, that are involved with that?
3: Okay, a quick disclosure, Nick, before I proceed with this, answering this question. As I've mentioned, and as you've mentioned, I am a financial advisor. I am not an attorney. I cannot practice law. I do work very closely with estate planning attorneys in conjunction with my clients' needs. So some of the documentation and information to be shared with your trusted person or persons is your contact information for your estate planning attorney and other professional advisors. Arrange a meeting with these people. Once you know if you've gotten a diagnosis, arrange it sooner rather than later while you're still able to participate and your wishes can happen the way you want them to. Get all of your documents together, your living trust. Your will, your health care directive, your durable power of attorney, checking account and brokerage account statements readily available, a net worth statement, review your beneficiary designations. I can't stress that enough, that the correct individuals have been named on retirement accounts, which is defined as 401Ks, 457, 403Bs, IRA, Roth IRA, and inherited IRA. Life insurance contracts, annuities, any account that has a named beneficiary, double-check it that you have the right people. Big disappointment can happen when that has not taken place. If you have a living trust and own a home, is the deed to your home in the name of the living trust? Sometimes when we refinance it comes out of the name of the trust and it's supposed to go back into the name of the trust, but I've seen times when that hasn't happened, so just double check that. Access to your passwords. That is probably a real important a new development in our lives that we need our passwords and somebody else that you truly trust absolutely trust needs to have access to that when you are diagnosed either with a terminal illness or with dementia and I would suggest maybe before then as you're aging that you want somebody that you really trust to be able to have access to that. The other thing that has come up frequently is people don't know the names of doctors They don't know what their medications are and medical insurance cards. So it's critical to have a doctor list, medication list, and your medical insurance cards readily available. And spiritual advisors. For some folks, this is so very, very important to them. They're going through a transition with their loved one. It could be traumatic. It could be huge grief that they're experiencing, and they need some guidance. So that is such a critical component.
1: Well, Peggy, thanks for sharing. It's a wonderful list. But Debbie, I'd like to bring you back into the conversation. And can you maybe add uh, some thoughts on your end?
2: Yeah, um, I would just add that it's important to also plan for the memorial or the funeral arrangements. Nobody really likes to talk about death and dying. um, But it's important what, where, who, um, how will these arrangements be paid for, or have they already been paid for? In my experience, it's not not just about knowing the financial assets available to cover arrangements, but what a loved one's wishes are, what type of memorial service, who should be invited, where should it be held, is it a burial or cremation preferred? Um, without a plan, family members just wonder or are guessing, or you're second-guessing yourself afterwards, did we do the right thing? And so I think that's really important, just to plan for those things as well.
1: Yeah, no, I absolutely would agree. I mean, it really goes back, I think, to the initial uh, start of our conversation. You know, pulling together a group of trusted advisor, it really should be done early and often, right? And it constantly changes because our environment changes, our medical conditions change, our financial wherewithals change. So it's, it's not a... a, a the old, the old method of putting it in a book on a shelf—it truly has to be re-engaged almost on a six-month basis to really ensure that you're doing everything you can for the individual that's suffering through dementia-related sy- symptoms. Again, preserving their quality of life and the integrity of who they are, right? Uh, and it's an important aspect. And I know it seems overwhelming, uh, and we're th- we're actually putting together a tremendous amount of great information, can appear overwhelming. But if you take this in steps and stages, and recognize, in in, in fact, that's the next tie-up to the question. Some of our local opportunities as far as resources that are available to us. How do we start that process and where would you go?
2: Yeah, so I'm fortunate to work for the City of Morgan Hill, and the um, Centennial Recreation Senior Center has really been the hub for information um, since 2008 at the, at the CRC, and we call it the CRC. Um, and in 2016, the City of Morgan Hill was designated as an age-friendly city. What that means is really our city is in a continual improvement process. We want to make sure that we're we're taking into consideration our residents, we're planning for the future, and making it so people can live and enhance their lives and, and live independently. We're committed to this process, and I think it's it's really great that the city of Morgan Hill is designated as an age-friendly community. Our senior center is a really busy place. Our programs and services support the needs of our older adults: have meals, transportation, exercise, socialization, lifelong learning. And we really are that hub of information. We do a lot of information referrals to outside agencies. If we don't provide the service ourselves, and we try to connect the dots for people in the community when they come in looking for a particular service, whether it's caregiving, housing, legal support, whatever that might be. Uh, we also have a senior advisory committee made up of professionals in the field of aging who also support our goals for uh, older adult services and healthy aging in our community. Um, The county, um, Santa Clara County Department of Aging and Adult Services, uh, they're also an age-friendly county. They support all 15 cities within the county with their age-friendly work. Older adults in early or later stages of dementia are particularly vulnerable, especially if living alone or if their adult children live out of the area. We see that a lot at the senior center, where somebody will be coming in, they'll be attending the senior center on a regular basis. We'll start to see a decline. Maybe their son or daughter live out of the area, and we'll notice it before the son or daughter. And so we'll be on the telephone, having a conversation about what we're seeing, so they can get the support they need. But the county is a great resource for in-home support services, conservatorship, and other resources. Supporting older adults. Um, they also have a Dementia Friends initiative to help educate the community about dementia and creating dementia friendly communities. Um, SourceWise is another local resource. They have a network of resources to educate, prepare, support, and advocate for adults, their families, and their caregivers. They have an office on Monterey Road in Morgan Hill. There's also a lot of different um, support groups and 24-hour phone lines that you can call. Uh, we have a dementia support group at the Senior Center provided by the Alzheimer's Association, and we encourage residents to ask their healthcare providers for information resources through caseworkers or patient care coordinators. And then um, there's the Susan and Charles Bergoff Foundation, and they're an important resource providing in-depth dementia education programs at no charge to our community. They partner with us. They partner with other health systems, colleges, public health agencies, and nonprofits to help people understand about dementia and the symptoms, diagnosis, treatment, and caregiving. They also provide education about brain health and dementia prevention. And then another really important one, well, there's a couple other important ones, but Live Oak Adult Daycare is another great one. They are located in Cupertino, Gilroy, Los Gatos, and uh, Willow Glen. And basically, this is an opportunity for a structured day program um, designated to enhance the lives of frail seniors or those with dementia. It also gives a caregiver, you know, respite care, it gives them an opportunity to maybe do something else instead of caring for the, the loved one who maybe is, has dementia or is struggling a little bit and needs additional resources. And then we have lots of assisted living here in Morgan Hill, Um, some great facilities. We have Westmont, Loma Clara, some smaller ones like Valley Pines, um, Primavera Gardens. And then in Gilroy, there's Merrill Gardens and others there as well. And then there's skilled nursing. Um, And a lot of times, you know, when you're getting into this, you don't know the difference between these these things. So it's important to kind of learn a little bit more. But there's Pacific Hills Manor, Hillview, um, Convalescent Hospital, um, Gilroy Health and, and Rehabilitation Center, and then I think the other thing is transportation is such a big deal. Um, when you lose your ability to be able to drive, how do you get places? How do you mm-hmm. how do you get to the senior center to just go have your lunch and meet your friends or go to church or? go to the grocery store. It's important to figure out what those options are. Is is it your loved one is gonna be taking you everywhere? Is it your son or daughter that's gonna be taking you? Are you gonna use VTA Paratransit? Are you gonna use our program? We have a volunteer driver program called RIDE. How are you going to provide um, transportation to be able to get your prescriptions or get to the grocery store? And caregiving, caregiving's huge. Are you gonna want a caregiver to come? I mentioned my parents are very private. Are you gonna have somebody come into your home and um, you know, be a caregiver for you there? Or are you going to want to go into assisted living? And I mentioned some of those assisted living um, places that can provide that level of support. There's uh, caregivers, private caregivers, and there's also, you know, companies that provide caregiving who do a great job, like Home Instead and Visiting Angels. We have a resource fair that we do every year where we have over 75 vendors from the community, nonprofits, lots of the organizations that I mentioned that come together and we're able to provide those resources to the community. Um, It's a great opportunity for us to just educate the community on what's out there, and we'll be doing that again this year as well. That's great. Did you want
3: to add in here, Peggy? Yeah. Dementia is progressive, and as it progresses, abilities decline, and decisions have to be made along the way to accommodate a client or a loved one's changing situation while keeping them safe and comfortable. This often requires a transition in housing, caregiving, transportation to and from medical appointments. That's a big one. It's a huge one, especially if the person has become immobile and they can't get around well. For people with dementia, routine and familiar surroundings are so very helpful. So uh, three resources that I have found personally and used are Caregivers Count, which now is an online toolkit to help assess the needs of family caregivers, Care Patrol, and A Place for Mom. Both organizations assist with providing senior living options based on care needs and quality of life, and in my own personal life that has come in handy on two occasions where I've been able to place two loved ones into board and care residential homes with with their guidance. And for every family out there, there are an infinite number of possibilities of what may be needed and how best to take care of their loved one. And again, the more you've had the conversations, the more you know what your loved one wants, even if they can no longer speak for themselves. Being informed can be very proactive and caring, and it is very prudent.
1: You know, uh, it, it's, it's just wonderful to be able. So first, thank you for sharing all the resources as well as the tools and some of the strategies uh, for individuals that are beginning this journey to be thinking about. Uh, it, it certainly can be an overwhelming aspect of life. But please know uh, for our listeners that you're not alone. Uh, and more importantly, we're fortunate to live in Morgan Hill that's been designated right as an age-friendly city. We have a wonderful senior center under Debbie's leadership that has a tremendous amount of resources and staff that you will continue to share to our community. Uh, and I know that when I was going through our, my own personal journey, just the acknowledgment that I'm not alone that I have a network that I can connect with as long as I stay engaged with them as well, really uh, just turns the page to say, you know, we can help navigate this. We can preserve the individual's integrity. We can preserve their quality of care, and we can make their life better for as long as we can. And that's what's important here, so thank you for sharing that. So I want to thank Peggy and Debbie for sharing your expertise your passion to serve our, our most vulnerable population, and I think most importantly, for providing a few practical tools and strategies that our listeners can best apply to their own journey of care and needs. I also want to thank Chuck and Robin and the entire board of directors of the Susan and Charles Burgoff Foundation for their continued efforts and mission to work towards a dementia-free world. You know, this is the third in in the ending of our current series. We'll have you back maybe a a year from now to take a look at some of the advancements. But I wanted to thank you for shedding the light on LBD, which we know is the second most common form of dementia. I want to thank you for your work with physicians, scientists, and caregivers focused on breakthrough research, and as importantly, the education piece to not only inform the family, but inform the community on how we can navigate the, the waters that are ahead. So thank you so much. Knowing that the Susan and Charles Berghoff Foundation and its partners are working together for a a dementia-free world certainly is a reason for hope. I'd also like to thank our listeners for joining the Morgan Hill Chamber of Commerce's Quick Five podcast. And stay tuned in the next of our series, spotlighting businesses and nonprofits proudly serving Morgan Hill and our neighboring communities. On behalf of myself, Kylie, our show's producer, and our entire Chamber of Commerce's team, have a wonderful day. And we hope to see you in and around the greatest city in the Bay Area, Morgan Hill.
0: Debbie Vasquez is the Recreational Supervisor for the City of Morgan Hill and works closely with the Susan and Charles Burgoff Foundation in helping the seniors of our city. Peggy D. Martin, MSFS, CHFC, and CASL with the Family Wealth Consulting Group, Family Wealth Consultants, Inc., a registered investment advisory firm, also serves as a board member with the Susan and Charles Burgoff Foundation. Debbie and Peggy covered a lot of resources in this podcast. Links to senior services in Morgan Hill and in the greater Santa Clara County will be provided in the show notes of this episode. There will also be links to some of the great resources we mentioned today to help you in navigating those difficult conversations with your loved ones. If you or a family member is struggling with symptoms of dementia, please see your doctor. Do your best to prepare yourself and your family for the later years of life and for what comes after by having the conversations now. The more closely you pay attention to your health, and the more you prepare yourself and your loved ones for what happens if it declines, the better off you'll be. Thank you to the Susan and Charles Berghoff Foundation for joining us in this three-part series highlighting the prevalence of Lewy body dementia in our world today, the importance of brain health, and the ways you can be prepared as an individual and as a family member if a diagnosis like LBD or any other degenerative disease should come your way. The Susan and Charles Burgoff Foundation is able to do the great work they do because of funds gained through grants and through donations from the community they serve. So if you'd like to give some money to support them on their journey to a cure for LBD, visit wwwburgoff foundationorg forward slash donate. The Susan and Charles Berghoff Foundation will also be speaking at the Morgan Hill Chamber of Commerce's Good Morning Morgan Hill Networking Breakfast. So if you'd like to hear more from them, please come out and join us at the CCC on September 1st. A link to register for breakfast will also be provided in the show notes. Thanks for listening to Quick Five with the Morgan Hill Chamber of Commerce.